Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, what's up everybody? Happy Sunday. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Good to see you with us this morning. Uh, If you want to, why don't you open up your Bibles. Uh, We're going to go Old Testament today, and we're going to go Old Testament for a whole month. OT. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. So if you wanted to, why don't you open up to Ruth chapter 1. I'd also like to say this. Since we're going to be here for a whole month, it actually works out really perfect. There's four chapters in Ruth, and you could just like, you could just read them, you know? And here's the other thing about Ruth. It's like two and a half pages long. Like, so today, after the Sunday nap, which we know everyone's going to take a Sunday nap, right? Uh, after your Sunday nap, you could either open up your Bible app or grab the Bible next to your bed, and you could read Ruth in about nine and a half minutes. And I would recommend it. And in fact, I would recommend doing that just like every day for the next month. Because this is a story that on the surface seems like really simple, but it actually goes really deep. Really, really deep. The title of today's message is, You Can Always Go Home. You Can Always Go Home. And uh, here's where I want to start this morning. Uh, I want to start with this idea of going home. I want to start with this idea of maybe you've been away for a minute and uh, you go back to your house. Um, I haven't lived at my parents' house for more than three decades now. Like, we're like right at like two and a half, three decades now. It's been a very long time since I lived at home. But can I tell you something about my mom and dad's house? I can always go back to my mom and dad's house. And guess who I have to call? No one. I can walk in their door. I can take food out of their fridge. I can grab a ski from my mother. I can get whatever's there and I can walk out the door and I can say hi or not. Why? Why? Here's why. Because that's my house. That's my, that's my home. Even though I have another home out above the river on Roachville Road where Heather and I've made a place and it's great. There's this other place and I can always go back there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to ask to go to your mom's house and you don't even have to knock on the door. I never knock on the door. I can't remember if I've ever knocked on my mom's door. I never knock on the door. You just go in and you go get whatever you need and you say hi and you can swing on the porch and you let the kids do what they do and then you can go home. That's what you can do. And that's how you know that it's home. Home is the place you don't have to call first and home's the place you don't have to knock on the door. You just, you just go in, you take what you need, get what you need and you move on. That's what home is. Now, uh, I have this job here at the church, but uh, as many of you know, I have this other job too where I work for Vineyard USA, and and for whatever reason, that job means that I travel quite a bit, usually once a month, sometimes twice a month, and sometimes I go someplace close like Nashville, but then other times I go someplace really far away. And it's, on the surface, fairly exciting. Like, you'd go, oh, Adam's on the airport again or whatever, and he's getting to go to Oregon. How cool. And can I tell you something? Uh, it is really cool to get to go travel and see the world. It really is. But can I tell you something that's even better than going? Coming home. And in fact, it's my favorite, tr- it's my favorite tweet. I-, I send it almost every, tweet, almost every trip. 
trip tweet. That's hard, guys. That's hard. But good to go, better to return. And it really is true. And if you've been, if you've been in Oregon or if you've, been, if you've been in Maine and you've been sleeping in a hotel for a week, no matter how fun the friends are, can I tell you what? When you get home and you get in your own cozy bed, that first night in particular, you will sleep like you have never slept. And it's the best feeling. I love to go away, but man, I love to come home. And I, I really love it when I, when I come home and like everybody's asleep in their beds and I just, I come in, the dog doesn't bark at me. You know, it's like freaking Rosie, come on. You know who I am. And you just get in your bed and you're like, oh man, I finally, I finally made it back. Well, we started a new series this morning in the book of Ruth. And before we dig in, before we dig in and get a bit of context, I want you to hold, I want you to hold this thought in your head and heart this morning. I can always go home. I just want you to hold that right there. Uh, now, of course, some of us in the room, uh, we don't have stable families. So we should just say that right up front, right? Like, I've got a good family. Uh, many of you do, but like I know for a fact, some of us in the room, we don't have stable families. Like, in fact, I've been talking about going home and you've been like, I'm never going back home. <laughs> and you have good reasons not to go back home. And I just want to like say, yes, that's a real thing. And you might be thinking, great, Adam, you've opened up with a metaphor that makes me feel worse and that I can't enter into. And what I would like to say to you at this point is just drop a pin in that. Just put a pin in that. Can we do that? Just do it. Just do, you got to do it with me, though. See, 30%. Come on, guys. Part of preaching is, is I do a part and then you do a part. Like, <laughs> church is not what we do. Church is what we do. Okay, you got to put a pin in it. We're going to put a pin in that. You can always go home. And if you want to, open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. And I just want to build a little context before we read some scripture this morning. First thing I want to say, tiny little book, four chapters, a couple pages. Uh, but there's some things you got to know before we get in the text. Uh, first thing you got to know is this. Number one, God is barely mentioned in the book of Ruth. There's almost no mention of God in the book of Ruth. Four or five times a person in the book of Ruth will mention God, but the narrator never mentions God in the book of Ruth. Never mentions God. God in the book of Ruth is very much in the background. And this is actually very important. And it's actually one of the reasons why this book is precious, right? How many of you have had moments in your life where it feels like God is in the foreground, very present, and then all of a sudden there's these other moments where it feels like God is very much in the background, right? So the book of Ruth is in many ways, it is a text about living with God in the background. It's a, it's a text about there's a God in heaven who knows you, and even when it feels like he's not working in your life, he is in your life. And you might, be, you might be making decisions, and you might think that you're the one who is in control, or it's your agency that's bringing about certain outcomes, but know this, know this, no matter what the trouble is, or no matter what's happening, and no matter how much agency you feel like you have in your life, there is always this invisible God who is working things out with you and for you, even if you don't mention him. So number one, God's barely mentioned. Number two, uh, there are no spectacular Old Testament style miracles in this book. None. 
Uh, there's no floating axe heads. There's no seas that part. There's no manna from heaven. There's no quail that show up out of nowhere. There's no frogs out of the river. There's none of that. Uh, but there are, there are this in the book of Ruth. There are a couple really stunning reversals. And we'll mention those later in the coming weeks. And they're just ridiculous. They're like so good, it'll just make you cry. Like when you see these, you're going to be like, what, just, what did I just read? Number three, number three, uh, and we'll come back to this in a few weeks too, but I want you to know it up front. Uh, there's a difference between the setting and when it was written. So when we read the book of Ruth, in fact, hey, why don't we just put up the first bit of Ruth? See, here's the setting for the book of Ruth. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Stop. So Ruth is set in the day of the judges. You guys remember that part of the Old Testament? Joshua, what? Judges and Ruth, right? So this is really weird. So Ruth is set in the day of the judges. And in the day of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Uh, judges says over and over again, uh, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, it was actually a low point in the history of Israel. And judges were raised up. Like powerful men and women were raised up to protect Israel from their enemies. And then they would kind of recede in the background. So you have people like Deborah. You have people like Samson. And then you got some other tragic fellows as well. We won't go into it. But Ruth is set in the time of the judges. However, Ruth was not written in the time of the judges. Ruth was written way, way later. So the time of the judges is like 1100 BC, but Ruth was probably written in either the 4th or 5th century BC. You might be thinking, well, I don't care about that. Like, what does it say? I'm going to tell you, this is actually super important, and we'll come back to that in a few weeks. All right? So number one, God's barely mentioned. Number two, there's no spectacular miracles, but there are these amazing reversals. And then number three, Ruth was set in a moment in which it was not written. So whatever the author is or whoever the author is, they're making a point with this text. Uh, this text is in many ways, it's a parable, not unlike the ones that Jesus told. So Jesus would show up and he would tell a story about some family, about some people from a particular place, and Jesus would be putting his finger on people's attitudes. And that's what Ruth is. All right, we've got a cast of characters I want to take you through real quick. Uh, really fun names, by the way. Uh, say this with me, Elamelech. Isn't that just fun to say? Elamelech. Uh, and here's what you need to know about Elamelech right now, anyway. Uh, his name means, my God is the king. My God is the king. That's what his name means. And then you have Naomi. You don't have to say Naomi because that's less fun to say. <laughs> and Naomi, her name means pleasant. And they have some kids. And the first kid is named Malon. And his name means sickly. And they have another son named Killian or maybe Chilean. And his name means disaster or, or wasting away. 
Anybody in here ever take an English class? Anybody ever? Like, okay, so here's what you have to understand. Like, we're reading these names, and we're getting, like, their English transliterations. But if you're a Hebrew, if you're an Israelite, and you get this story, and all of a sudden you're reading it, or maybe somebody's reading it to you, and it goes like this. Well, one time in the land of the judges, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, there was a famine, and then there's this guy, and his name is My God is King, and he's married to Pleasant. And they have two sons, sickly and wasting away. And if you stop right there, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? What do, you, what, do you, what do you call that in English class when the book opens up with two kids named sickly and wasting away? It's called foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, right? And then eventually we're going to meet these two other characters. One lady, her name is Orpa. Orpa, and her name is really hard to understand. I dug on this for like two hours this week. It was mind-numbing, but Orpa means something like cloudy, droopy, neck. It, it's something in there. And here's what's wild. I, I read a couple, I read a couple like Old Testament scholars. And, and really what the Hebrew is trying to get, get to here is it's, it's someone who has slumped, right? That's what her name means. So it's like, it's downcast. It's something like that. And then there's this last character who is the most important and her name is Ruth and her name means friend. It's really cool. A lot of foreshadowing right there. All right, let's read. Ruth chapter one, verses one through five. This is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. You should underline Moab. That's a big problem already. You have to know this, right? And the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion and they were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Man, we're, like, we're three verses in. He's dead. <clears throat> Great move, Elimelech. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. This is the Bible's way of saying that's sad, but she's okay. She's got two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And now Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. A few things here. Number one, Bethlehem. Let me put that one back up. Verse one, Bethlehem. Does anybody in the room know what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means house of bread. Like, this story is so good. So it opens up with this family, and the writer is saying, in the days of the judges, when everybody did whatever they wanted, in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, there was no bread. There was no bread. It was a dark moment. And I love this idea. In the days when the judges ruled, in the days when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, there was a famine in the land. And there's a sense in which the biblical writer is saying, Everyone did their own thing and it led to empty cupboards. 
That'd be one way of understanding this text. You want to do your own thing? Go for it. Guess what you're going to get in your heart? Famine. That's what you're going to get. It'll turn the house of bread into a place with no bread. Number two, number two, the first thing you have to know in these opening words is there's nothing more vulnerable in the ancient Near East than widowed women far from home. Like number one, women have no power in this culture. Zero. There's no power. Uh, Number two, if a woman isn't married, that's like really bad. And if a married woman loses her husband, that's like the worst thing that can happen. But if she has some sons, it'll be okay because the sons will take care of their mom. But if you're a mom and if you're a wife and you lose your husband and your sons, you're done. Like you're literally done. And there's some Old Testament provisions for these kinds of situations, which we'll get into in the weeks to come. But what you need to know right up front is that like Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, these are women on the edge. These are women living on the edge. Like we're talking subsistence. There is no Kroger. There is no CVS. There's no Walgreens. And nobody's getting a social security check. There's just, it's just not happening. Uh, and then here's the third thing you have to know. And this is actually maybe the most important key for the whole book. And it's this. Everybody hates Moabites. Everyone hates, like this is huge. Like in the first verse, Moab is mentioned and then in verses four and five, it says that, uh, that uh, Naomi's sons, uh, sickly and wasting away, while they're away from their home in Israel, they marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman and no one in Israel likes the Moabites. Like here's some people you don't like if you're an Israeli. You don't like the Moabites. You don't like the Ammonites. You don't like the Syrians. You don't like the Babylonians. But of all those people, the ones you really don't like is you don't like the Moabites. Like they were like extra, extra bad and on the outside. And I want to read two verses from you, one from Deuteronomy and then one from Nehemiah, because this hangs over the whole text. Deuteronomy, look at what it says in Deuteronomy. By the way, this is before Ruth is written. No Ammonite or Moabite of any or any of their descendants for 10 generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Now from Nehemiah. On the day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found that no, where was no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Uh, where did they find that? They found it in Deuteronomy right? Like if you're a Moabite, you're out. And by the way, here's what you need to know. The book of Ruth written, written in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. So just hold that in your head. This hangs over the whole thing. And I'm reading these so you can get a feel for the action here. When Naomi decides to return home, she's taking, she's taking some people with her that are not going to be well-received, so imagine you've lived away and then all of a sudden you're bringing home some people who have become a part of your family, but you know when you go to your ancestral land, they're going to be saying, who are these people who are with you? And they're going to be like, well, she's Ruth, she's a Moabite, and that is going to go over not great. Not great. So this story is a story about vulnerability. It's a story about people on the edges. It's a story about women and foreigners. Uh, it's, it's also a story about who can come close to God Uh, This is a story about who's in and who's out. Who's in and who's out. This is a story about tragedy. 
And this is a story that, that's really about what do you do when your life goes to hell? What do you do when your life goes to hell? And what do you do in the toughest seasons of your life? What do you do in the toughest seasons of your life? So I want to give you a small outline and then I'm going to punch through this story really quick, okay? I want to talk to you this morning specifically about three things. Number one, friendship. Number two, the names we give ourselves. And then number three, coming back home. Number one, friendship. Ruth is a story of friendship. That's the fact. That's what Ruth's name means. She's a picture of tremendous loyalty. Her husband's dead. Her father-in-law's dead. Uh, and at this point, Naomi's given a couple speeches. So I'm just going to tell them to you rather than read them to you, okay? So uh, everybody's dead. And Naomi's like, we got to go back to Israel. And the two daughters-in-law are like, we'll go with you. And they set out on the journey. And after they start, it's like Naomi comes to her senses and goes, you girls can't come with me. You should go back to your mom and you should go back to your dad and they'll take care of you. And why is Naomi thinking that? Because everybody in Israel hates Moabites. Like, listen, it's, it's not even said in the text because it's so obvious. You can't take these people back, right? And so Orpah, Orpah, Droopy. <laughs> droopy, droopy breaks down and cries, but she actually leaves Naomi. And she goes back home, but Ruth decides to stay. And Naomi is clearly feeling the weight of her circumstance. I do want to read one thing to you from verse 14, Kate. This is an amazing piece. Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become, who could become your husbands? Return home. Uh, I'm too old to have another husband. I'm an old lady. And even if, even if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? Of course not. No, my daughters. Listen to this. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Okay? And at this point, Droopy goes back home. But Naomi, Naomi doesn't. Uh, Naomi doesn't and Ruth decides to stay with her. And I love this. I love this because Naomi says, the Lord has turned himself or turned his hand against me. Some translations say, the Lord has raised his fist against me. Uh, Naomi's not in a place of faith or confidence or trust. She's utterly crushed. But then look at what Ruth says and does in verses 16 through 18. So the one daughter-in-law is leaving, but Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where will I go? And where will you, uh, she says this, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Time out, time out. This is nuts. How many of you understand this is nuts? This is crazy. Uh, what, does, what does Ruth even know about Naomi's God up to this point in the text? He's turned his hand against her. What, what is this? What is this? Like Naomi's testimony about God up to this point is it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is a beautiful thing. Listen, Naomi's like, everything in my life has been taken away from me. You girls should go back home. And Droopy goes back home. And Ruth is like, I will not go back home. In fact, I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. And your bad God, he'll be my bad God. Because I'm with you. I'm with you till the end. Where you die, I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. 
ever so severely if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This story is about friendship. And Ruth's name means friendship. Look at this. How many of you have a friend like this? What is that? It's a picture of loyalty. Well, here's the question this morning. Uh, What do you do in tough seasons of your life? Here's what you do. You lean into friendship. That's what you do. Like, what do you do when your life goes to hell? You better lean into friendship. Uh, You better have a friend. You better have a friend. And if your life life isn't in the middle of hell right now, uh, you better spend your days right now when you're not in hell getting friends who will walk with you when it does go to hell. Because here's the truth. Every single one of us in the room is gonna go through really hard things. And the question is this, do you have anybody who will walk with you? Here's another question. Will you let anyone else walk with you when your life is hard? Look at the last verse. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. What is this? Naomi is going to let Ruth walk with her during the worst season of her life. What do you do when your life goes to hell? You lean into friendship. You lean into friendship. And, and here's the word for everybody in the room right now. Everyone in here should be leaning into friendship right now because there will be a, a day you need it. And when the day arrives, will you let someone walk with you? Will you let it? One of the ways we, inspir- we experience God's invisible hand, we've talked about God being barely mentioned in this book. One of the ways we experience God's invisible hand is actually, is actually in our friendships the people who will take the bitter walk with us. Uh, Ruth chapter one, Ruth chapter one is, is all about the bitter journey. And the truth is, it's eventually gonna come for all of us. But here's the question this morning. Will we let anybody walk with us? And then eventually, will we be that for someone else? Will you take a bitter walk with one of your friends? Number two, the names we give ourselves. Uh, the two girls here in the text, they eventually make the long walk back home and they're greeted with a lot of excitement because Naomi's been gone for at least 10 years and people in town start asking, is it really you, Naomi? I think that's Naomi. Is it really you? And in verse 20, she says this, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She said, instead call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This is really important. Her name means pleasant. A bunch of unpleasant things happen to her. And when she gets back to her people, she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. And she's giving herself She's giving herself a new name. But if you read the rest of the book, and I I hope you will even today, uh, here's what you find out by the end of the text. Uh, By the end of chapter four, Naomi has a whole new life because Ruth has a whole new life. Ruth gets a brand new husband named Boaz and Boaz ends up taking care of everybody and everything. And not only that, but Ruth ends up becoming the grandmother of David and a distant mother to Jesus. And so here's what the text would say to us this morning. 
Don't give yourself a chapter one name when you don't know what chapter four might hold for you. The names that you give yourselves at the lowest point in your life, they may not actually be accurate because you don't know what the invisible hand of God is doing in your life. And you don't know what the author may have in store for you before the book is finished. You might feel like, you might feel like my name is bitter or my name is empty, but you might be wrong because by the time you get to chapter four, your life might be full and it might be overflowing. So here's what I would like to say to this room this morning. Uh, don't name yourself too soon. Uh, maybe you're in the middle of a thing, a painful thing, and maybe you're tempted to assign it to God. And uh, maybe you feel cursed and you think, well, this is my lot in life and it'll never change. This is it. This is who I am. This is all God has for me. All my joy is turned into bitterness and you internalize it like a name. You wear it and you introduce it to others. And, and, and maybe, maybe just maybe, here's what the text would say to us this morning. Maybe just maybe, it's too soon for that. Maybe it's too soon for that. Maybe there are chapters still unwritten for you. Maybe there's chapters unwritten for you. And maybe you could even say that this morning, uh, even, even out loud. Uh, there are chapters unwritten for me. That'd be a decent prayer. I'm alive. There are chapters unwritten for me. And then number three this morning, you can always go back home. Uh, everything changes for Naomi and Ruth when they go back home. When they come back to the land that God had given them. Uh, I love the little note at the end of chapter one. The last verse, Kate, I think 22. This is the last verse in chapter one. So Naomi returned from Moab those darn Moab, the worst people. She returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And I love this. It's so poetic. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The house of bread has bread again. Like it's springtime. It's springtime. It's like a brand new beginning. You can always go back home. You can always return. And this goes way deeper than returning back to your parents or your hometown. Uh, this returning is about returning to the watch and care of God. It's very interesting. It's very interesting that Naomi's husband, his name means my God is king. And when times got hard, he left. He left the land of his God. And he ended up in Moab where there were other gods. Right? Right? But when does, this, when does this story turn around? It turns around when people are like, I will go home and I will go back to my people and I will go back to the land of my God. So the return to the land was in some ways a return to God. You're experiencing trouble this morning? Here's what I want to tell you. You can always go home. You can always go home. Uh, have you gone out on your own and tried to make a way for yourself, but in the end, it's turned into wreckage. Well, here's what I'd like to tell you this morning. You can go back home. You can go back to God. Uh, you, can, you can come back to the relationships that you left. Uh, you can return to faith. That's part of what Ruth chapter one is actually all about. It's about returning to faith. Uh, here's what you need to know this morning. You, you can pick up where you left off. You can start over. The Bible calls this repentance. One of the words for repentance means this, to turn around. That's what Ruth chapter one is. It's like, well, we walked away from God 
And now we're going to go back to him. We just, we just turned around. And guess, guess how many rebukes there are in the book of Ruth for turning around and going back? None. None. You can go back. You don't have to struggle alone. Everybody in the room can go home. So today, maybe three questions today. And if you're on the band, you can come on up. Uh, I, I want to land. I want to land here. Three little things. Number one, maybe maybe you're on a bitter journey. Maybe you're on a bitter journey. Maybe you're in the middle of a real low moment. Uh, I want to. I want to ask these questions again because I think they're pertinent for us. Number one, will you let somebody walk with you? Will you let someone walk with you? Uh, the question maybe real similar to that is this. Do you have a friend to walk with you? And if you don't, maybe, maybe start asking the question, why? Why? Like, is it that I don't have a friend or is, that, or is it that I won't let anyone walk with me? Right? Question number two. Have you named yourself something that only tells part of the story? Like sometimes, especially when we're in pain or we're in difficulty, it feels so immediate. We feel like nothing else could be true. But the, but the reality is, is there's way more things true than just the pain of, that I'm experiencing in the moment. There's like a million other things. So am I taking on a name? Am I taking on a name that's only part of the story? Like, am I giving myself a chapter one name living completely unaware that the author has not finished writing chapters for me. And question number three this morning is this. Do you need to come home? Do you need to come home? And I want to define this a couple of ways. Number one, is there a relationship you need to come back to? Like for some of us in the room, I actually think there might be a, like you just left a relationship and it just hasn't gone well for you and you need to come back. You know, you need to repair that. Uh, but here's another coming home. Maybe, maybe you're in the room this morning, you need to come back home to God. Like you're at church, but you're actually far from God. As weird as that sounds. You're just, you're far from God. You've, you've, you've lived in the land of the judges where every man and woman did what was right in their own eyes. Or, or, or maybe you went to Moab, you went to Moab and you left the house of bread, you know? You left the house of sustenance. And maybe you just need to come back and you need to come back to God. Or maybe, or maybe you need to come back to your faith. You know, maybe, maybe you're here, but you've, you've kind of let go of the rope of your faith and you're just like, well, I'm here because I just want my kids to be around other good people and I want to give them a story to live in, but I don't really believe any of this and I don't really care about this. But I just, I want to have a good family, you know? I want to have a good family. This is a conversation that people sometimes have with me. I don't know about church, but I just want to, I want to raise my kids in church because it's a good thing. And it's like, dude, you're in the land of the Moabites. Don't even know it. Why don't you come back to the house of bread? You know? And so this morning, maybe you need to come home. Maybe you need to come back to a relationship. Or you need to come back to God. And, and maybe you just need to pick up your faith again. That's, that's the invitation this morning. So if you're in the room, why don't you stand up before we sing and let me pray. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, 
you can follow us on social media. Until next time.